This guy was a Los Angeles police officer before he decided to go into acting. He had mostly small parts. I don't think he's gonna be too happy with you telling everybody he had small parts. <laughs> so he had to stop being a cop because he lost that in the line of duty. <laughs> Welcome to Damn It Jim podcast. It's a fun and fascinating look at Star Trek, the original series, hosted by Dan Calzaretta and Dana Smith. This week we're discussing season two, episode 11. Friday's Child. Dan, is Friday's Child full of woe? I think it's Wednesday's Child is full of woe, isn't it? Depends on which version you do. Yeah. There's a couple different versions out there. Yeah, I don't know. Friday's Child is full of Schmidt, I think, is, is maybe <laughs> what it's full of. <laughs> wow, that didn't take long to get Schmidt into there. No, no it didn't. So. <laughs> so how are you doing, Dan? Doing good, Dana. Yeah, we had last week off. I took my tasting exam. Oh, yeah. I don't know how I did yet. I mean, I have a pretty good feeling about it, but I, I hope to find out sometime this week. Well, let us know. It'd be pretty exciting. Yeah, I'm going to tell you I passed anyway, regardless of what happens. So. <laughs> 100%. 100%. I got 110%, actually. Only person ever to get 110% on the test, yeah. So they're changing the name of the uh, test to the Dan Calzaretta exam. Yeah. Yes, exactly right. They're going to call it the Kobayashi Biru. <laughs> Nice. I like it. And uh, since you tied us into Star Trek, which is what we're supposed to be talking about, let's get to the uh, comments and questions and feedback that uh, we've received over the last couple of weeks. Mike Conrad, hey guys, can you recommend a book or books about TOS, preferably with the background info of making the episodes and stuff like that? Thanks. And really enjoying the podcast. Thanks, Mike. We did send you a message through Facebook. First one that I always recommend is The Making of Star Trek. And uh, I think I included that in there. So if our friends out there that are listening in have other ideas, please share them on Facebook and we'll uh, make sure that we get those to Mike. Tang Dan said, I never did understand what Kirk was trying to do with that maneuver of bouncing himself off the wall. And that's when he uh, misses the blue alien with the kind of looks like a smurf and then when he's trying to get up the Andorian stabs him in the back I don't understand that either it wasn't Kirk's best move it was a weird it was a very weird move yeah our friend Pam McClung said uh, love this podcast episode and the Trek episode as well I love seeing Spock's parents what an odd mismatch they were talk about opposites attract that's a good point yeah I never understood it so our, our friend Doug from the UK wrote us Dan's requested that I try to do an English accent tonight. Yeah, because I tried a few <laughs> weeks back and it was horrible. It was really, really bad. And then we asked Doug to, you know, hey, join us on the podcast. You could read it yourself. And then we didn't hear from him for a couple of weeks. So I was, <laughs> I was like, well, there's another listener, former, former listener. Well, he's still, he's still with us. So. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. I'm glad he uh, sent another email. But uh, this was in response to the uh, wife attend challenge that, uh, did you try that, Dan? Did that work for you? Yeah, yeah, that's why I got to go see the uh, dentist this week, yeah. <laughs> Put a few teeth back in your head? With some... <laughs> yeah, I did. Allison at this point just looks at me and shakes her head and goes in the other room. I mean, it just does it, you know. How about you? Did you do it? No, I, I did tell Yvonne about it, and she uh, she listened to the podcast, of course. Mm -hmm. And uh, she said, so are you going to try that? <laughs> and I said, I know better. And uh, she's like, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> so Doug tried it. It says, uh, hello, gentlemen. As Star Trek fans, 
See, I went to the, I went to Australia. Yeah, yeah. Instead of Cockney, think about like the upper crust of English, of English society. Hello, gentlemen. As Star Trek fans, you know that no, that nightmare we've all had of evil Spock uttering the words, your agonizer, please, followed by it being dropped into one's boxes and switched on at full power. That's the sort of reaction I received when I attempted wife attend. Thanks a lot, chaps. That's pretty good. <laughs> Sounded like David Niven a little bit. No, oh, I, was, I was going for James Mason. No, 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 that was who it was. Not David, it was James Mason. Totally James Mason. That's who it was, yeah. Yeah, well, I'll keep working on that. I used to do a great James Mason. So that was pretty good. A, that was pretty good. Well, so Doug, I'm just wondering if he's had to see a doctor of any kind after that uh, incident. <laughs> yeah, what doctor would you see for that? And how would you explain <laughs> <laughs> that to the doctor? Yeah, because an agonizer would be probably similar to a taser today, right? Yeah, that's what I would think. So to get tased in the nuts, that would hurt, I'm assuming. <laughs> One could only guess. Yeah. That's a... <laughs> well, Doug apparently knows. So, Doug, we're, we're sorry if that went sideways on you. And I hope we didn't cause an international incident of some type. <laughs> really, Doug, when we hear you speak in our heads, it's more of the James Mason sound. So uh, and not, not the Cockney. <laughs> I still would love for him to get a hold of us and we could have him read one of his emails on the air. I think that'd be great. One last uh, message we got uh, from Anthony who said, Hi, Dana and Dan. I enjoyed your recap of one of my favorite episodes, Journey to Babel, especially your appreciation of Spock's bomb's Herculean slap. A lot of people seem to get slapped in Star Trek. May I suggest a listener poll for the ultimate slap for all others to be judged by. He says the top two at this point are the one where Lieutenant Uhura does a great backhand on Lieutenant Sulu and Mirror Mirror. Yeah. And let all the following slaps be judged against the winner. Looking forward to the next episode. This episode, we're going to get several slaps happening. Yeah. Practically slapstick. <laughs> Dan, did you have any uh, comments you wanted to share? Yeah, I've got two, Dana. Uh, Frank Cording sent us an email and he said, Hey there, I thought this might appeal to your culinary tastes. And he included a link to an online article about a popular sandwich in Philadelphia called, wait for it, the Schmitter. I don't know if I could eat a sandwich named the Schmitter. <laughs> Well, I schmidt you not, Dana. It uh, It's a real thing. Uh, so for our listeners, I'll include a link in the show notes so you can see it yourself. But it's made of roast beef and griddled salami stacked on a Kaiser roll with cheese, tomato, and onion, along with a special Schmitter sauce. It looked good, actually. I, I could totally eat that. Yeah. And I was looking at the sauce. I've made a similar sauce to that. I don't really want to know about that, Dana, and, and how that <laughs> sauce came about. So I'm not going to ask. Oh, come on, Dan. All right. How did you make that sauce, Dana? <laughs> <laughs> uh, same way and described ketchup, a little Worcestershire sauce. Okay. So it wasn't like a sauce. You weren't, you know, it wasn't innuendo or in this, in this <laughs> yeah. case, outuendo. Yeah. No, nothing like that, Dan. <laughs> it looked pretty good though. It did. Yeah. So thanks for sending that along, Frank. I mean, I had never heard about that, Dana, a Schmitter. Can't believe that's out there. Yeah. I would not have believed it unless I saw the article. No, <laughs> no way would I believe that. So yeah. anyway, like I said, I'll include the link in the show notes. And then finally, this is an email we probably should have read about like a month ago, and I think we both just forgot. This one was from Anne. She writes, Hi guys, I heard you were considering a video podcast during a previous episode. May I suggest if you do so that you both wear Apollo-type togas? <laughs> 
Thanks, Anne, for that email. Yeah, that's all I've got for this week, Dana. Let's get started with Friday's Child. So first thing we see is the conference room. McCoy is providing information on the Capellans. McCoy had spent time with them before and states that they are over seven feet tall and not interested in medical help, that they all believe only the strong survive. Now, there's another planet in the same system called Acapella, and they're the Acapellans. <laughs> and they don't believe in music of any kind. They only sing. In harmony. In harmony. Wow. Did you just think that up? I did, yeah. <laughs> Kirk, McCoy, and Spock are going to beam down to the planet. Kirk leaves Scotty in charge of the Enterprise. You know, I love it when Scotty's in charge. Yeah. Kirk notes that the Klingons are known to be in the area, and he doesn't want an incident with them or the Capellans. Or the Acapellans. Did you ever hear the Bobs? I don't know. Our friend Bob bought the album, but it was a bunch of guys named Bob doing, I think it was rock songs, acapella. Was he part of it? No. Oh. But he bought the album and made me listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> that bad, huh? <laughs> uh, awesome. <laughs> That's what I think of every time I think of acapella, which is not the same as archipelago. Is that a disease? <laughs> no, it's like instead of continents, it's a bunch of different land masses. Oh, you mean archipelagos. Isn't that what I said? You said archipelagos. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was like something with a foot, like the arch of your foot. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what you said. I mean, I wasn't really listening, Dana, so I'm not sure. Yeah. You say potato, I say potato. <laughs> I like archipelago better. It sounds like an Italian guy saying, hey, uh, I got the problem with my archipelago. <laughs> See, I can do that because I'm, I'm half Italian. I've read it numerous times. I've read that. Word. I've never heard it pronounced, actually. Yeah, yeah. Archipelago, yeah. I could swear that's what I said. That's you did say that. <laughs> I said Archipelago. I don't know. <laughs> I think you found your cold open. So. Uh, <laughs> so the landing party beams down. And as they meet the Capellans, McCoy does this move with his hand and says they are here with open hearts and open hands. And then a Klingon steps up next to the Capellans. Security officer Grant draws his phaser, and one of the Capellans quickly throws his Klee at. Yeah, kind of like a throwing star kind of deal, yeah? Yeah, like a Frisbee that's more likely to kill you, as uh, security man Grant found out. Uh, so uh, it nails Grant like right in the chest. Did you slow that down to look at it? Yeah. I, I did the same thing. You know how sometimes they'll edit that in or like show a person throwing something, and then they'll do a quick cut, and it's already like in the guy's chest? It looks like it was actually thrown and stuck in him. I don't think we ever see this uh, actor ever again in the series so uh so you think they really killed real. him yeah <laughs> <laughs> who needs special effects <laughs> that, that would that, that highlight your career that would be a highlight right yeah you known as the one guy that actually got killed on star trek by a prop <laughs> <laughs> So next thing we hear is uh, Captain's log as Kirk explains they are, in, they are in negotiations with the Capellans for the rare mineral toppling. So the Klingons have beat the Enterprise to the Capellans and have endangered their, their ability to negotiate. Yeah, so this is a type of material that they say is needed for life support systems or something? Yeah. You know, it's funny, several episodes have revolved around the need for some rare mineral. Yeah, just like the Horta. Right. And a lot of times they're looking 
for dilithium. Yeah. You'd think you wouldn't be starting a whole Starfleet if the mineral that powers your ships was in short supply <laughs> where you could easily get to it. Right. And this topoline sounded really more like, I don't know, an eczema cream or something that you'd see on a commercial <laughs> at one in the morning. Eczema, hemorrhoids, yeah, something. Yeah, maybe hemorrhoids. That'd be bad. <laughs> Do you have a case of raging hemorrhoids? Squirt some topoline in there. <laughs> The Klingon states he is unaware of any war between them, then asks, or is it your policy to kill Klingons on sight? And Kirk looks like he wants to kill the Klingon. And then Kirk agrees to surrender their weapons and communicators to the uh, to the Capellans, as the Klingon has done. Next thing we see is Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are in a tent. Kirk is upset that the scrupulously honest Capellans are dealing with the Klingons, and one of his men is dead because of it. He's kind of pushing on McCoy for a reason. And McCoy says Grant drew a weapon first. Kirk says it was a normal reaction to see a Klingon and be defensive. Is it though? <laughs> is that the Starfleet way? Is that the Federation way? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. So then Kirk points out that if there's a Klingon down here on the planet, there might be a Klingon ship up there. Really? Does that, does he really? <laughs> <laughs> No, he just materialized from from Klingon, <laughs> from the Klingon planet, light years away. Boy, that's, that's uh, he's a regular Sherlock Holmes with that kind of deduction. Yeah, so. <laughs> he really is. <laughs> so we go back to the Enterprise where Chekhov tells Scotty he's picking up something on the sensors. Maybe he's picking up that he's once again wearing a bad wig. Yes, Dana. <laughs> yes, exactly. And we should probably explain why. Last week or a couple weeks ago, we said, oh, the, the bad wig's gone. Well, why is it suddenly back again? Well, these were filmed in a different order. And then they like shuffled it around to keep us confused. Why Chekhov's haircut changing? <laughs> so Dana, I told you we should have, you know, reviewed these in the order in which they were produced. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, this one was actually a pretty early produced one in the second season. Yeah, and it threw me because I thought we were done with the bad wig too. Yeah. In fact, this one was the 33rd produced, but it was the 40th released. So yeah, it, it came quite a bit after some of the other ones where the wig would have been gone. It should have been gone from the get-go. You know, it really so. should have been. <laughs> So Chekhov points out that there's a ship that's just outside of their sensor range, and Scotty is feeling certain it is a Klingon ship. You think it's a Klingon ship? Who else would be playing cat and mouse with a starship? You can't hurt us much out there bobbing about like that. Back on the planet, Kirk apologizes for chewing McCoy out. Yeah, I thought that was good of Kirk to do that. He's done that a few times, because that's the kind of leader he is. Exactly. That's his leadership, yeah. Not afraid to admit when somebody else has made a mistake. So. <laughs> <laughs> is that how you kind of you know deal with HR issues in your line of work? Yeah. People come to me and complain. I go, it's your own stupid fucking fault. <laughs> Just then, a woman in pink brings food. The woman holds out something to Kirk that looks like a set of balls. It did. I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, freeze-dried balls. Just what I want. Yeah. It looked like a small version of what you see some people hanging off of their, like the pickup trucks in the back on their tow hitch. <laughs> So before Kirk can take it, McCoy says, don't handle those balls. <laughs> You're going to be in some deep Schmidt if you touch those balls. <laughs> that's that's her cousin's balls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. 
Uh, that's someone who tried the wife of 10 challenge and that uh, <laughs> didn't go too well for that guy. Oh, but wow. it did. It really did. That's that's the first thing I thought, too. Yeah. When I saw it, I was like, what the hell? I, w- I rewound it two or three times just to see. If I can zoom in and get a screenshot, I'll send it to you so that you can put it as part of that Facebook picture collage that you do. I'm sure I can find that picture somewhere anyway. So, well, I, I wouldn't search for that, though, Dana. I would not. No. <laughs> I'm going to search for that because <laughs> you will come up with results. <laughs> Woman holding out balls to Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be some pictures I do not want to see. <laughs> oh, my God. Actually, you should Google that. I want to know what you find. <laughs> you can report back. <laughs> Oh, wow. So later, the team is taken to Aka'ar, the leader of the Ten Tribes. A pregnant woman, who is Julie Newmar, comes in and is introduced as Eline. Is, is, is that right? Eline? Is it Eline or Elian? Elian. Dana, when I, when I was watching this episode, and then I was reading some about it, I was like, oh, man, here we go again. Why couldn't it just be like Barbara? <laughs> Ellie. Or Ellie, yeah. And instead of Aka'ar, how about, I don't know, Alex? <laughs> but I was thinking, oh, God, here we go again. This could be one of those episodes where we're both pronunciation challenged. Yeah, well, it, it only gets better. <laughs> <laughs> a pregnant woman, Julie Newmar, comes in as introduces Eliane. She's the young wife who will give a son to rule these tribes. Kirk goes to Akar and says he is protesting the loss of one of his crewmen. Akar asks, was it not his privilege to die for you? And then Mob says their customs are different from ours. And the Klingon says, and different from our customs. The sight of death frightens them. Before Kirk can respond, McCoy steps up and says, what Mob? has said is true, but what the Klingon says is unimportant. McCoy then turns to Kirk and says, I just called the Klingon a liar. I love that line, Dana. Yeah. I thought the whole him stepping up and doing that this is a good episode for McCoy. Yeah, it was a great episode for McCoy. I totally agree. Yeah. So Akaar and Mob debate whether or not the Klingon is worth listening to. Akaar says, the Earthmen have never lied to us. And Mob replies, there are those of us who will not bargain with the Earthmen. Akaar asks, do you say you will fight me? And Mob says, let that be your choice. And leaves. We got a lot of tension going on here. You know, here's the other thing though. Uh, do you remember early in the episode, you mentioned this? McCoy says that they're very tall, a very tall race, like seven feet tall. They had to hire like every tall person in Hollywood to be in this episode because they were all very tall people. Well, I was reading that they actually they put lifts in all these uh, actors' shoes. Okay, they were very short people, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think they were tall to begin with, but that make them look taller. Oh, really? They actually put lifts in their shoes. Wow, I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, I was, I was reading about it. That's what happens when you read, Dan. You yeah. learn new things, <laughs> like archipelagio. <laughs> I did read though about Julie Newmar that she was actually like five eleven. She was a very tall woman. So on the Enterprise, Chekhov notes that the ship they were following is now completely out of range, and Uhura says she's receiving a signal that she can't quite make out, and then she says she's lost. It, but it sounded like a distress signal from another vessel. Back on the planet, there's a brawl going on. It just springs out of nowhere, Dan. It was almost like a scene got cut to explain how that all got started. Yeah, it went south in a hurry. It really did, yeah. And Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are in their tent. They come out. Kirk quickly beats the crap out of a couple of these tall guys. Well, it's also hard to run when you got lift. <laughs> 
<laughs> or you're wearing platform shoes. Yeah. So, that's a, so after Kirk dispatches a couple of these Capellans, they run into the leader's tent where the Klingon is in there searching for something. The Klingon finds a knife. And while he says to Kirk, he has no quarrel with him. He suddenly lunges at him with the knife and Kirk does this roll and flips him over. And then Kirk grabs the knife and holds it at the Klingon's neck. And the Klingon says the vessel in the sky is a small scout ship and that the Klingons need the minerals too. He did not keep that secret very long. <laughs> he oh, he yeah. gave it up pretty quick. So Mob comes in and holds a knife to Kirk, demanding he release the Klingon. Later, Mob states that the Aka'ar is dead and that that Mob is now the leader. The Klingon, Crass, goes to Mob and says, kill them now. So Mob says he's beginning to like Kirk. And Crass says, we had an agreement. And Mob says, that too may change. So back aboard the Enterprise, Uhura reports she has the distress signal now from the SS Deidre. What kind of name is that, Dana? The SS Deidre? <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with the name Deidre. No, it's a beautiful name. It's a, a very nice name. But would you name a ship after? <laughs> I mean, and it's a freighter on top of it. So it makes you think that, you know, Deidre was quite a woman. <laughs> <laughs> you can really pack that freighter full, Dana, just right to the gills. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it almost to me sounded like, I don't know, the SS Bertha. <laughs> <laughs> So Yahura says they're reporting they are under attack from a Klingon vessel. In the tears tent, Elian enters the tent and stumbles over Ma'ab's sword, and he, she burns her hand in the fire. And Mob says, you carry a child who would be Tear. And when Mob goes to kill her, Kirk intervenes and a fight breaks out in the tent. Spock gets clobbered and knocked out right away. Bones like runs for help. Or just runs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm out of here, suckers. I told you. I told you don't fight these people. <laughs> But Spock gets knocked out, right? Yeah, you get like right away. Have we ever seen that before? I was reading. They said it's only the second time that Spock gets knocked out. Okay. There's, in one of the other episodes, he gets knocked out. Yeah, he was down quick. Yeah. Mob says, no man must touch the wife of a tear. And Elian says, I was ready to die. And Kirk laid his hands upon me. Kill him, she says, referring to Kirk. Back on the Enterprise, Uhura is trying to reach anyone from the landing party. She gets no answer. They listen to the distress call from the Deidre. Scotty seems uncertain, but Scotty then goes to tell Sulu, prepare to take us out of orbit. Uhura asks, what about the captain? And Scotty says, we have a Federation ship in danger, and that's where our duty lies. Yeah, see, that was really good because it was very short, you know, yeah. and to the point and excellent. So the Enterprise leaves the orbit of the planet. Back on the planet, Kirk, McCoy, Spock, and Elian are all gathered together in a tent with two guards. Spock notes that they are overdue to communicate with the ship, and Kirk says, since there's no reconnaissance team, he has to assume Scotty is having issues preventing him from helping out. I have a question, Dana. Why weren't they all killed? Because it only be a half hour show. <laughs> People are thinking, man, I wish these guys would get killed because then the show would only be half an hour. I think the uh, Joint Chiefs are figuring out a way to torture people. You know, instead of like put them in Guantanamo Bay, they're just going to make them listen to our whole podcast unedited. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'll tell you whatever you want. <laughs> They get Putin in a room. Nothing can break me. Nothing can break me. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, hold on. Welcome to Damn It, Jim. The no, not Damn It, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> 
that was Putin. That was not very good either. Uh, I got the I got the gist. McCoy states that he's going to tend to Eliane's arm, stating that they can only kill him once for touching her. So Kirk says, yeah, that's a very good idea. And Spock agrees. And they're kind of looking at each other like they're conspiring. The guards are temporarily distracted as McCoy goes to help Eliane. Kirk and Spock overpower the guards and turn to Eliane, asking if she would rather die or live. And she says, to live is always desirable. Here's the other thing, though. They're having this discussion and the guards are standing right there. <laughs> yeah. And then Kirk just throws a pillow at one of the, the guys. The pillow. The pillow. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's a yeah. good point. Yeah. I mean, Spock jumps up and does the Vulcan nerve pinch, at least, you know, but in the real world, you know, you throw a pillow at a guy like that and the first thing he's going to do is turn his sword towards you. Right. <laughs> the old pillow maneuver. Starfleet hand-to-hand combat academy where you only get in combat once. So yeah, I get to see some instructor. Okay, if you're in a pinch, grab a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> And throw it at your attacker. <laughs> Especially the pillow that have those little dangly things, because they could maybe hurt somebody. Yeah, a fringe could poke a guy's eye out, or, you know, at least just <laughs> scratch his iris. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. No he's going to be listening to us after this episode. <laughs> On the Enterprise, Chekhov reports there is no sign of the freighter they were going to help. Scotty orders a wider search pattern and maximum sensors. Chekhov says there should be some sign. On the planet, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Eliane are walking through the hills. So they say that they've gotten their communicators, but they weren't able to find their weapons. Meanwhile, Kirk and Spock are looking for ways to defend themselves until the ship returns. Kirk spots the uh, Capellan search party, and McCoy continues to examine Eliane, checking on the baby. He puts his hand on her stomach and she says you will not touch me in that manner now you listen to me young woman I'll touch you in any way or manner that my professional judgment indicates. He goes to touch her again and she slaps him. Yeah, it was a good slap. Yeah, it was a good slap. He goes to touch her again and she slaps him a second time and McCoy slaps her back. <laughs> <laughs> Those were good slaps. Yeah. You're not used to McCoy being kind of a tough guy. No. But this slap stuns her, and then he puts his hand on her stomach and says, the baby could come at any time now. She puts her hand on his and says, strange hands, very soft. Just then, Spock walks up and sees this, and McCoy, seeing Spock, pulls his hand away from her. <laughs> a classic piece of comedy. It was very good. And, and the look on Spock's face, kind of the little shrug of the shoulder. <laughs> I've had a theory about other children in the show. Just like in the court-martial, we were pretty convinced that Jamie was Kirk's love child. You convinced me of that, yeah, with your logic. <laughs> or illogic. And here, we see at the very beginning of the episode, McCoy's on the planet. It's obvious he's been there to visit and so on. And then this woman's pregnant. I, I think it's his child. I really do. So up on the rocks, Kirk and Spock are watching the approaching Capellans. Kirk asks if they could create a sonic disturbance with their communicators. And Spock says there's there's only a slight chance it would work. And Kirk does this kind of reverse psychology thing of, well, if you don't think it would work. And <laughs> Spock replies, I didn't say that exactly. Kirk has done that a few times to get Spock to do what he wants. Up on the rocks, Kirk and Spock are watching the approaching Capellans. Their communicators are humming loud. So Mob and his men pause and then, and they're like, you can see they're like trying to listen for sounds. And all of a sudden the rock above them explodes, sending boulders down 
killing some of the Capellans, but Crass and Mob seem to escape. It's amazing how styrofoam can kill people when it falls from, you know, <laughs> 50 feet up. So when the dust clears, we see Crass stab one of the Capellans and take a phaser from him. We go to Kirk and McCoy talking about Elian's pregnancy, and McCoy states that the Capellans are humanoid, but they there are differences. And Kirk says, well, if you don't think you could do it, <laughs> this worked on Spock. It's got to work on McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> and McCoy replies, I can do it. The last thing I need is a ham-handed ship's captain. I don't like ham necessarily. I mean, I'll have a ham sandwich, but I love bacon. I love ribs, but pork shoulder, all that stuff. But but just like a, like boiled ham, you know, one of those boiled ham, don't like it. Really don't like it that much. I love a good ham salad. Yeah, ham salad, because it's not like the gelatinous boiled stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, no, not a fan. But you like spam, which is odd. I mean, it's not odd. It's not, it's just... I mean, I, I don't go out. I'm not craving it or anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, you know, if you came over tomorrow and said spam, I'd, I'd put some in a skillet and we could cook it up. Yeah. <laughs> spam handed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need some spam handed chips, Captain. Yeah. <laughs> Kirk scouts around and finds a cave. Uh, Kirk goes back to help Elian, and she says, no, only McCoy. And McCoy struggles to get her up the rocks and says, look, I'm a doctor, not an escalator. Spock, give me a hand. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. So we, <laughs> we got a dead crewman and I'm a doctor, not a something in the show. So yeah. all we need now is a ripped shirt. Spock goes to help. And again, she says no. And she points to McCoy and saying, only your touch. I've had dreams of Julie Newmar saying that to me. <laughs> <laughs> She's still alive, Dana. On the Enterprise, Scotty finally figures out that they were duped into going away from the planet. He then decides to continue the search pattern for just a little bit more, just to be certain. And Uhura comes up and says, should we call off the search? And Scotty's like, still like, well, we'll take one more sweep. I mean, how much trouble could the captain be in? You know, it's a... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> in the cave, McCoy is examining Elian, touching her stomach. Kirk asks, how'd you arrange to touch her bones? Give her a happy pill? No. Right cross. I love that. That was good. <laughs> Although if I was Kirk, I'd be a little bit uncertain about going to sickbay ever. You know, a... <laughs> and, and like Kirk has ever read a medical book. Come on. <laughs> Outside the cave, Kirk and Spock try to figure out how to get better weapons. Kirk points to some weeds or something off in the distance, and they go running off towards them. Inside the cave, Eliana's in labor, and McCoy states, you must want the child. And she says, no, here, child belongs to husband. McCoy says, men take all the credit here. Then he asks her if she wants his help. Finally, she agrees. He says, repeat, the child is mine. She says, the child is yours. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, no, no, no. And then she starts to deliver the baby. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of like that scene. I thought it was funny. Yeah, it was great. Outside the cave, Spock and Kirk have created bows and arrows. Just freaking amazing how fast they were able to do that. <laughs> and Spock says, Fortunately, this bark has suitable tensile cohesion. You mean it makes a good bowstring? I believe I said that. 
it was clear to me, you know, as Shatner is looking at the bow and arrow and he's trying to put like a, a an arrow on the bow and he's fumbling with it. it. It is clear that he has never in his entire life, William Shatner, handled a bow and or arrow. I mean, it just looks so bad. It did seem a bit awkward. Yeah. How did they uh, fashion the points and get the notch in the back and put the feathers on? In like three minutes. And then Kirk says that line, since they don't have bows and arrows on this planet and they never had, this will almost be like a culture that has never seen a gun or something along those lines. I was thinking, no, no, it's not. It's not going to be anything like that. <laughs> yeah, that, that part was just kind of dumb, really. Yeah. Next thing they hear a baby cry and McCoy comes out all smiles. He happily shows the baby to Spock and Kirk and he's got swaddling clothes. I don't know what they made that out of. Uh, another good point. I didn't even think about that. But he hands the baby to Spock. Spock is obviously uncomfortable with the baby. Then Eliane says, McCoy, bring our baby here. And Kirk is surprised by her phrase. And McCoy says that he'll explain later. And Spock says, that should prove very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so on the Enterprise, Sulu and Chekhov confirm that there is nothing in the scanner's sensors range. Scotty orders Warp 5 back to the planet, Warp 6 as soon as she can take it. Uhura reports another distress call from the USS Carolina. Scotty says ignore it. Scotty says there's an old saying on Earth. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I know this saying. It was invented in Russia. I do like how the writers of Star Trek put in these little Russia jokes. I was reading about that, and they said that the Russians were known for claiming they invented everything. Oh, yeah. They threw this in as kind of like a little humor for Chekhov. Oh, that's interesting. In the cave, McCoy is sleeping, and Eliane wakes up. She takes a rock the size of a softball and knocks McCoy out, even though he was sleeping. <laughs> Just in case, Dana. <laughs> and then she leaves the cave. Later, McCoy comes out of the cave calling for Kirk and Spock. He reports that Eliane is gone, but the baby is okay and still in the cave. Yeah, it's not like the baby needs food or anything. I was thinking so the same thing. <laughs> like, who's feeding that baby? Kirk and Spock decide to go after her and leave McCoy to take care of the baby. The Capellans are searching the area. And we see Kirk and Spock are waiting for them, kind of up on some rocks. A scout sees Kirk and Spock and warns Mob. The Klingon says, they must die. That is your law. And Mob says, we will honor our law and our word to you. Just then we see Eliane walking towards them. She stops in front of Ma'ab and states, the child is dead and the Earthmen are dead. She killed them while they slept. Crass says he wants to see the bodies. Just then, Kirk shoots an arrow and strikes Cross in the knee. Man, he's a good shot. He's a really good shot. I think he was aiming for his head. So it's a... <laughs> He was aiming for some completely different guy. Yeah, he was aiming for Ma'ab. Yeah, so... <laughs> Cross drops the phaser. The Capellans throw their Klingons at Kirk and Spock, but miss. My question is, why didn't they just throw out the Klingon? Yeah, good question. He was like out in the open. <laughs> yeah. So Kirk and Spock continue firing arrows and kill a couple more of the Capellans. So Cross points the phaser at Mob and his men, threatening to kill them all if anyone approaches. You and your primitive knives and weapons, I'll teach you what killing really means. It's a great line. Eliane runs back to Mob and asks them to fight. Mob pulls his knife and says, I give you back your life. My life is now forfeit. Why? Because he is a man of stupidity. I, I don't know. It's a <laughs> <laughs> That's the only real answer. Yeah, so he he tells his like lieutenant 
He says, you know, be ready or something like that. And Bob approaches the Klingon, raises his arms and yells, Klingon! Cross fires, vaporizing Bob and Kiel, or Kael, however you say his name, throws his Klingon, striking the Klingon, which was a stuntman. <laughs> I noticed that too, yeah. I mean, like half a foot taller than the other guy and thinner. Why? Why did they need a stuntman for that? This guy couldn't catch a Klingon? <laughs> Yeah, because it's not like he fell off of some rocks or anything. He just fell down, didn't he? Yeah. It was weird. So Spock and Kirk moved down the hill, preparing to fight the remaining Capellans. Then Scotty and several security guards come running down from the other side. And McCoy comes up carrying the baby. Eliane goes to McCoy and wants to take the baby. McCoy has to like teach her how to hold the baby correctly. And McCoy says to the baby, Coochie, coochie, coo, oochie, coochie, coo. <laughs> <laughs> And Spock is perplexed by McCoy's words, and Kirk says, it's an obscure Earth dialect. Consult linguistics. So back on the Enterprise, Kirk tells Uhura to contact Starfleet and inform them that the mining agreement has been secured by the young High Chief's regent. McCoy says, Representing the High Tier, Leonard James Akaar. The child was named Leonard James Akaar. Has a kind of a ring to it, don't you think, James? Yes, I think it's a name destined to go down in galactic history, Leonard. What do you think, Spock? I think you're both going to be insufferably pleased with yourselves for at least a month, sir. And that's how the show ends, Dan. I love that line and how Nimoy delivered it. It was dripping with, like, human jealousy. Yeah, he seemed hurt that his name wasn't included in there. Yes, exactly. Exactly right. For all the little things we pointed out, I, I like this episode. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> So, Dana, let's talk about Julie Newmar for a little bit, who played Elian. Yeah, I have been a big fan of Julie Newmar since I can remember. She was the original Catwoman on the Batman TV show. And uh, I was, you know, I was eight years old and I was madly in love with her. Madly. In researching her a little bit, I discovered that she continued doing the voice of Catwoman on some of the later animated series. Appeared in a lot of TV shows in the 60s, everything from Get Smart to The Monkees and The Twilight Zone. And she she also created nude mar pantyhose for women. She was very smart. She had an IQ of 135. In fact, you know, she holds two patents. One is for those pantyhose that you mentioned, and another is for a bra that she invented. Wow. I mean, she actually has patents for these, Dana. How, how many other actors on any iteration of Star Trek can say they have a patent? My guess is zero. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, she was pretty amazing. She's 89 years old, still alive today. Yeah, we, we should get her on the show. I think it would be great. We haven't said anything. Anything bad that's going to make it into the episode. <laughs> well, also in honor of Pride Month, which June is, Newmar is a staunch advocate of LGBTQ rights. One of her sons is gay. That kind of ties in, especially this month, it kind of ties into how Star Trek is a very inclusive series. It always has been. And in the later versions of Star Trek, those shows include non-binary characters, gay characters, transgender characters. So it's really cool that Star Trek continues to kind of really reflect reflect society in a very progressive way. Yeah, and those characters aren't always minor characters. Some of the characters in Discovery, very big plot lines that involve them. So it's uh, really, I think they've done a great job with it. 
I do too. Yeah. Way to go, Star Trek. There's somebody else you want to talk about here? So this guy, Cal Boulder, who played Keel, he had been a Los Angeles police officer for 14 years and for some reason decided to leave that career and go into acting. And that wasn't probably the best move. Because <laughs> he had mostly very small parts in some movies and television shows. But maybe his most well-known part was in the film Jesse James Meets Frankenstein's Daughter. Get out of town. No, I'm not joking. Wow. Well, one, I didn't even know that was a movie. <laughs> I had to look it up and it sure is. Sure is. Have you ever seen it? I think I've seen bits of it. You can see it on YouTube. I think you might even be able to see the whole thing on YouTube, but I just watched a couple of trailers for it. Anyway, that's him, Cal Boulder. He's dead, so we don't have to worry about him coming after us. Just his family. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's all I've got on Cal Boulder. You know, Roddenberry was former police officer. That's true. Dan, we have uh, any themes and dilemmas you want to discuss? I just have one, Dana. It really is a question that may lead to a dilemma, but is it ever okay to intervene in the practices and norms of another culture, even if they seem really anathema to us? I don't know the answer to that, because then it brings up all these value judgments about, like, are some cultural norms superior to others? In this case, Elion wanted to die, and Kirk stopped it. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? There's no way in the world Kirk could watch anybody kill a woman, especially a pregnant woman and just be a bystander out because it's uh, somebody else's planet. I think if that was allowed to happen in the series, people would have just turned their TVs off. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. How about you? What about some dilemmas you have? The Klingons were exploiting the situation, even though he said, you know, we're not at war. He attacks Kirk later. You know, it's just everything was, if he said the sky was blue, you know, it was green, you know, just you couldn't trust anything he said. He was doing everything he could to affect the Federation's negotiations and really went over the uh, Capellans. But you knew that, you know, he didn't care. It was uh, really just to get the minerals. Once again, it sets up this Cold War thing. Kirk and the Enterprise being the U.S. and the Klingons being Russia. Well, and in 2023, it's kind of hard for us to realize how embedded in the culture this whole Cold War was thing in the 1960s, but it was everywhere. Oh, yeah. Dana, how about one of the best parts of this episode for you? Julie Newmar. <laughs> I really would love to get her on the show. I really would. As part of our, like, trying to convince her, I'm just going to send her various clips from this episode. <laughs> and she'll say, only the Dana can touch me. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to say anything else about Julie Newmar or is that it? That's just, just it? Love me some Julie Newmar. Okay. All right. Do you have any best parts of the show? Yeah, I think Scotty being in charge of the Enterprise, I thought it was really clear that the crew really respects him as a leader. Oh, yeah. I, I agree. How about another best part for you? Julie Newmar? <laughs> <laughs> I've got her name written down three times, but... Uh... <laughs> In all reality, though, uh, Scotty's line, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice. I remember that from being a kid. Do you got another best part? Yeah, McCoy slapping Elyon and her reaction to it. I just thought it was fantastic. He just hauls off like he is mad that she's hit him twice and he just yeah. hauls off and smacks her. And then she's just completely dismayed. And it's just uh, her reaction was great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How about a worst part for you? Scotty waited too freaking long to go back to the planet. I'll just kind of hang out here for a little bit. It just seemed unscotty like How about you? Do you have a worst part? Chekhov's wig. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we need to say anything more. The wig, right? I mean, this should be the last time, right? Or are we still going to see it again? No, I thought there was only three episodes where he wore it, but I think this is the fourth one. 
It is the fourth one. You can't miss the wig. There's no way you can miss this wig. Oh, yeah. It's like a character unto itself. <laughs> it totally is. In fact, they probably made all the tribbles out of the wigs that they like tested, you know, for checkups. Oh, like, yeah. oh, that one doesn't work. Let's save it. We may be able to use it for something else. How about another worst part for you? Uh, not enough Julie Newmar. Uh, no, uh, I mentioned this earlier. How long did it take for Kirk and Spock to fashion not only bows, but arrows? Just bothered me. I got over it because Julie Newmar was in it. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, do you have any other worst parts you want to share? Julie Newmar? <laughs> That's it. We're done. You're dead to me. No, it was the whole bow and arrow thing. I agree. That was that was pretty stupid. Dana, what happened to Julie Newmar on this day in history? I mean... <laughs> Dana, what happened on this day in history? Well, Dan, we always talk about music. The uh, number one song in the U.S., The Monkees, Unseated Lulu with Daydream Believer. Wow. So we get the monkeys and the guy on the show with the monkey wig. I mean, he was made to, isn't that, weren't you telling us that early, one of the earlier episodes that he was, Chekhov was designed to look like one of the monkeys, wasn't he? Oh, I thought you meant like a monkey. Like, no, no, not uh, a monkey. <laughs> 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 but yeah, he was designed, he was supposed to rival Davy Jones. Of the and kind of draw that demographic in to watch the show or something? Or Yeah, young teenage girls, because they're always big into sci-fi. And in the UK, the number one song was by the Beatles, Hello Goodbye. Isn't this the first Beatles song that we've had as number one in either the first or second season? Yeah, which is shocking to me. Yeah, me too. Also on this date, uh, the Jimi Hendrix Experience released Access Bold as Love, which is uh, one of their bigger albums. Not a Jimi Hendrix fan. Are you? Are you a Jimi Hendrix fan? Uh, yeah. I like Hendrix. Yeah, I'm not, not a huge fan. Although I have seen his grave. They've since moved it and created a little bit larger of a, a monument. When I saw it, it was just a, kind of a flat gravestone, um, probably, you know, three feet by five feet, something like that. And uh, very simple engraving. And when I went to see it, there was no one else there. It was just in this cemetery. It wasn't even really marked in any special way, except there were all these melted candles all around it. Like people would go there and light a candle and I don't know, sing some Jimi Hendrix songs or something. I don't know what they would do, but it was kind of cool. Well, that's pretty wild. Yeah. Also on this date, NASA presented the Apollo Telescope Mount Program to the Astronomy Missions Board at Cambridge, Massachusetts. The board recommended that the scientist astronauts be assigned as members of the ATM flight crew. So this doesn't have anything to do with like getting money out of a machine in space or something, or does it? <laughs> yeah. Only if uh, you're passing by Uranus. So it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, that came out of the blue. That was great. Sometimes we can anticipate what the other person is going to say. I had no clue that one was coming. No clue. <laughs> okay. Well, with that done, let's move on to counts, Dan. All right. So, Dana, what do we have for the dead crewman count this week? We got one, Security Officer Grant. So that puts us up to 37. All right. Shirtless Kirk Ripshirt Kirk count. Zero. Should have been one, but zero. Should have been at least one. Yeah. That shirt could have gotten ripped, could have stabbed, something. Nothing happened. I was a little disappointed. We could have had a trifecta today, but we didn't. So that puts the tally at 12. All right. The he's dead count. McCoy didn't say it. That's too bad. We could have had four. I was surprised. I mean, it's, yeah. uh, but I mean, I guess it was pretty obvious too. You know? <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> 
So what's the total then on that one, Dana? Leaves us at eight, Dan. I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. Oh, we got it this week and it was a good one. I'm a doctor, not an escalator. I just love that. Yeah, it is a good one. I like this one. Yeah, so that's uh takes us up to seven. Okay. The supreme being count. Zero. Julie Newmar is about as close as we got. But, uh, <laughs> <it's>... <laughs> she's going to love this episode, and she's definitely going to want to come on the show after hearing that you're such a big fan. So, uh, yeah, we're stuck at eight. Okay. Violation of the prime directive. You know, at first I put zero, uh, but then after thinking about it some more, I, I put down that, yeah, they did violate the prime directive. Yeah. What, in which scene? All of them. <laughs> what was like the main violation for you? Introducing the bows and arrows for one thing. That's a good point. Stopping the killing of uh, Elian. Yeah. The other one that I saw was McCoy insisting that Elian keep the baby. Oh, yeah. So, that yeah, you're right. This one was kind of riddled with them. We're just going to count it as one, though, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So that moves us up to six, Dan. Taking over the Enterprise count. We're still at five, Dan. Well, Dana, overall, I thought this was a pretty good episode. You know, there were some holes and some funny things in it, but I, I liked it. I think it's another good episode. The humor stands out in it. And then, of course, there's Julie Newmar. <laughs> All right. Well, we really should try to get her on the show. Let's uh, let's work on that. So, Dana, next week is another episode with Julie Newmar. We're just going to watch this one again. <laughs> I'm all I'm all good with that. So, uh, actually, Dan, next week is a very interesting episode. I can't wait to watch. It's the deadly years. Actually, it's one of my favorites. It's one of my favorites because Kirk actually grows here when he gets older. <laughs> 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 yeah, I look forward to seeing that one. Well, Dana, I had a great time with this episode and talking about Star Trek with you. Enjoy the rest of your week. Dan, it's always fun to hang out with you and talk about Star Trek. And thanks to all of our friends who write and comment on the show. We really appreciate the communications. Until we meet again, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Dammit Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Next week, join Dan and Dana for the episode The Deadly Years. Enjoy the rest of your week, and until we see you again, remember to live long and prosper.